The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to be the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing these promises to life. Join creator and host Jonathan Ross Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as he interviews the brilliant minds that are building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to Into the Metaverse. We are back, 2024. We've got a jam-packed uh, content plan for today's first episode of the year. We're getting back to a, a weekly rhythm and... Uh, the delighted surprise is Matthew is back. Matthew, welcome back to not only to the metaverse, but also joining Super Social um, to work with me on BD and really take Super Social to the next level. And that includes also figuring out how do we take you know the podcast to the next level with more content, more episodes, more amazing guests, and more content. So stay tuned for that. But Matthew, happy new year. This is our first episode and uh, the first formal one since quite a long time. How are you feeling? Feel good. Feels good to be back. I feel like it's it's come uh, it's come full circle back into the metaverse to use the name of our podcast as my career journey, right? But uh, it's uh, no, it feels good. I'm excited to be here for everyone out there, our partners, anyone that's a potential partner. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Um, yeah, and and I'm I'm excited to 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 be joining Super Social. And really help spearhead, um, you know, help, help spearhead the growth of the company. So, uh, very excited to be back in the metaverse and be back here with all of you discussing what's happening in the world of the metaverse. Well, with that in mind, we have a jam-packed agenda for today. So let's let's get going, Matthew. Let's do it. So, what's on our list? Where do we start? So, we're going to start with a report that came out last week from Novik. For those of you that don't know, maybe you're not super into the gaming world. Novik is a uh, an independent research shop that focuses on gaming and interactive entertainment, but they did a really good deep dive on UGC platforms, UGC gaming, for those that don't know acronyms, user-generated content. So that's like Roblox where people make their own worlds, make their own items. Um, they did a really good breakdown of it, especially if you're looking for like the 10,000 foot overview of, of the UGC gaming space, because it's really from a, from a high level, gives you an overview of the landscape, who the key players are, what the engagement looks like. What I found most notable and most interesting in the report as someone who is more familiar and doesn't need that 10,000 foot overview is they put out their own estimate of uh, how much money they think all of these platforms combined paid out to creators in, in 2023. They estimate that last year, $1.32 billion was paid out to creators across all of these platforms, Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft, et cetera. Uh, up from a billion in 2022, so 32% growth, if, if we're doing easy napkin math here. Not surprisingly, Roblox accounts for the bulk of this, 730 million in 2023, growing 18% year over year. Uh, Fortnite creative payouts did grow the fastest. They grew over 300% year on year uh, and accounted for 150 million of the total dollar growth. So that 320 million of incremental dollars, about half of that was from Fortnite creative. You know, I, I think I think where we want to go with this is what stands out the most. I, I mentioned the numbers, but the big thing at the end of the report that stood out to me is they kind of make a recommendation that, you know, we everyone should build on Fortnite now because uh, it's the average payout per creator is is higher on the platform, and that seems a bit short sighted. But Yon, why don't you jump in and kind of give your thoughts, and then we can break that down. Yeah, look, I think that there is. Um... There is a different level of maturity of these platforms. I think Roblox is obviously 
a bigger platform. It's been around as a platform for a longer period of time. And it has a different challenge than Fortnite today, where there are millions of developers and creators. Uh, I think the of potentially official number of Roblox, there is like 40 million titles on the Roblox platform. And there is a fraction, a fraction, a fraction of those that generate revenue. And of those, there is a very small percent that generate significant revenue. So definitely when you look at the scale of the platform, it is even, it, it, it's ever more challenging to generate revenue on the Roblox platform. If you look at Fortnite as an alternative, obviously it's on a earlier stage journey evolving as a UGC platform, there are less creators, but on Fortnite, you have a different challenge, which Roblox doesn't have, where as part of the revenue share, it's not just the developers that are getting rev share. It's also maps that are built by Epic Games itself. If it's the Battle Royale or Lego Fortnite or the, the music festival that they launched, and it's a pretty significant percent. And so unlike on Roblox, where you're really, as a developer, you're competing with other developers, you're not competing against the platform. On Fortnite, by definition, your biggest competitor is actually the platform. And I think that's a major change of dynamics. Yeah, 100%. And just to put some numbers around this, I looked at uh, Fortnite.gg, which is like a good place to like check in on the CCUs of any of all the experiences in Fortnite. And you can see that the Epic accounts, like all of the Epic made worlds account for over 60% of the CCUs on the entire Fortnite platform at any given time. And we don't know the share of revenue and how they do engagement, but it's probably safe to assume that plus or minus 90% of that payout on the Fortnite platform is back to Epic's own properties, whether it be Lego, Fortnite, Fortnite VR, you know, the zero build, et cetera, right? Those are, that's where the bulk of people are engaging. And it makes sense that that's where the even more bulk of the revenue is being distributed. And so this is kind of why the report irked me a little bit. It's like, yeah, the average payout is this. So build here. Well, it's not about the average payout. I mean, if you look at Roblox too, they just closed this in their annual financials. You know, there's only a very, very small percentage of, of experiences that are generating a million plus, 10 million plus visits, right? Only that are generating, you know, so many creators, developers are in that 100,000 a year, million plus a year payout brackets that they disclose in their financials. So looking at the average doesn't do justice to, for professional organizations looking to build on these platforms or really care about those, those top X percentiles, even maybe less than a one percentile at the top, right? In terms of engagement and payout potential, because it's not just about the average, it's about how can you successfully get into that threshold and what does that tier look like? Because that's really where professional organizations care about and build. Yeah, certainly. And look, I, I, that's not to say that the Navic report is inaccurate. I think it's just incomplete. I think looking at the choice where you want to build, the average revenue should be one of the composition of your decision-making, in my opinion. You want to look at the scale of the platform. You want to look at the competitive landscape. You want to look at the type of content that you can create. You want to look at the maturity of the technical tools of the developer tools. So there's definitely a much wider conversation to be done around what's the rationale of choosing one or two. Uh, to be honest, on a broader level, if you're a bigger player, a bigger studio, you probably want to play all of those uh, platforms. Mm -hmm. and, and look, there's going to be other platforms that are emerging that people are going to get to keep an eye, like everywhere by build a robot uh, boy, build a build a robot boy, you know, the former creator of GTA. GTA itself is becoming, quote unquote, a metaverse with UGC and enabling more creators to build. 
The Sims. So modding is kind of gradually expanding. Now, I don't know if modding inside existing games will ultimately become like a Roblox. I think in that regard, Roblox is really unique. I don't see today another platform that can become a pure play UGC platform in the nature of Roblox. And, and, and really only because it takes an enormous amount of time and investment to reach that scale. And there is the network effect. Once you get the developers, once you get the creators, the switching costs are so high. I like to tell people, if you think that Roblox developers are just like overnight, suddenly just jump ship to Fortnite after they just spent a decade of their lives becoming experts on the Roblox engine, you're underestimating the effort it takes and you're underestimating the loyalty that they have to the platform and the tribe. And, and I think that's something that many platforms that are thinking about competing with Roblox underestimate the power of the network effect and the power of the, the tribalism of the Roblox developer community. And I'm not saying that other platforms cannot do that. They can. It just takes a very long time, a lot of patience, a lot of capital, and there's very few companies that are going to be in a position to do so. But certainly in five to 10 years, Matthew, there, there may well be other Roblox-like platform. We'll just have to wait and see. But at the moment, Fortnite is great. It provides a certain element of opportunity. But I don't think it's apple to apple at the moment with regards to uh, and also it depends. Are you asking yourself the question from the lens of an individual creator or are you a business? That is a very different lens to look from. If you're an individual creator, that is one set of choices you need to make. If you're a business, that's a whole different set of choices. And what type of games are you building? Are you also working with brands? There's just so many things that, again, I think there's a lot to like about the Navic report and the folks are obviously smart and wonderful but it's definitely incomplete and provides an opportunity to expand on some of the pillars for choices. So Navic, come get, come talk to us. We're happy to contribute to the, uh, to the deeper dive to go, you know, about more than the 10,000 foot view. So, uh, so moving on, um, last week, Apple formally announced the vision pro headsets going on sale on February 2nd. So we have a date. It's about two weeks out from when we're recording now. Pre-orders start this week. So maybe we'll start to get all those people that somehow track, you know, visits on the website for pre-orders and stuff. You know, they all do surveys and stuff. So I'm sure that news will start coming out about what pre-order volumes look like. Also, what came out last week, you know, I'm a, I'm a supply chain in Asia dork. So uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, who's an analyst at TF Securities in Taiwan, uh, he's very in tune to the supply chain. He's the guy that like knows what's going on. He said the initial production run of Vision Pro headsets will only be about 60 to 80,000 units. To put that in perspective, that's about as many iPhones as Apple sells every single day. Um, so it's, it's a very, very small drop in the bucket for Apple. Um, I know we talked about the Vision Pro and Apple strategy in our 2024 Outlook episode we did. So if you haven't caught that, go listen to that because it'll be much deeper. But any thoughts on just, you know, kind of as we're getting closer now and, and based on the initial production or any of your thoughts around what's going on with Apple right now? I just think that the level of excitement and anticipation from early adopters, from people in the know, people in the scene, people in the tech sphere is incredible. You constantly read about these testimonials of journalists that actually played with the Vision Pro and they are saying it is absolutely the most incredible thing they've seen. I take those seriously because we've also seen in previous cycles of consumer devices that when reporters have a chance to look at a product and it's, and it's crap, they will say it's terrible. They're not going to shy away from telling the truth. 
they have no reason to pay lip service because their recommendations are being read by people. So I remember multiple cycles of consumer devices, not necessarily Apple, even the Magic Leap, when the Magic Leap came out, right? And people finally started, you, you saw the reactions were kind of, most people were delusional that this is actually going to be a game changer. So to read so many reporters that actually played with the Vision Pro who are saying, guys, this is legit. This is by far the most incredible magical experience. I think that probably proves that Apple did manage to create something extraordinary. Now, there is no doubt that this is not going to be a product that is going to sell 100 million units in year one. But to be honest, I don't really, I don't, I'm not an Apple analyst, so I'm not, this is not the conversation we're having about, okay, how many units are going to sell? How, who cares? For me, it's less about how many units they're going to sell. I think what's really most important is, is the user experience that phenomenal? If the answer is yes, I think this potentially is the inflection point of spatial computing devices. Apple will accelerate development of lower uh, priced products, and they will ultimately become the, the go-to platform for developers to build spatial computing applications. If the user experience is not on par and is not as accessible as we are led to believe by people who have seen the product, I think it's going to become something of a disappointment. But I would not... I don't look at, okay, how many units they're going to sell in the first quarter or the first year. I think it's really about if they're going to nail the user experience and it is a game changer that it promises to be, I think that would entice developers. And if developers are going to build great applications, Apple will gradually. Also, it's already called Vision Pro. So you imagine that there's going to be a non-pro version of the product in the next five years. So there's no doubt that the price is going to go down. Which again brings me back to if this is a an incredible UX victory for Apple, the lo the long term trajectory of the category of the product is going to look very very promising. That's really what I am focusing on, and not are they going to sell eighty thousand or half a million? I, I don't think that's the, the the most important thing. It's all about the UX, and if it's going to be a real Apple experience as a game changer, I will be very excited about the category. If it's not, we'll just need more time. Yeah, and I think I think it's been reported out of Taiwan and other places that they the plan is to like this is this is basically a, a proof of concept slash developer seating device at this point, which is why the production run will be small. It's also to artificially create the sense of excess, you know, demand greater than supply, right? Apple always wants to do that. But it this is really about getting it to developers and creators to build those experiences. They're gonna take advantage of it. And then in two to three years, you're expected to release a a consumer grade, a cheaper device around a thousand dollars, which, you know, we talked about this on our year ahead episode, but if, if Apple's correct and spatial computing and this sort of device is what replaces the iPhone, a thousand dollars is, is not a lot of money because we already spend that on our iPhones today. If, but if this is an accessory to the iPhone and it never becomes a standalone product and doesn't fully take advantage of the vision of it, pun intended, I guess, you know, then then $1,000 for an accessory is a much bigger ask than $1,000 for your main computing device. Yeah, I would just say that I think we are far, far away from the iPhone as a modality, as a form factor, as the primary form factor of computing interaction. I think we're far away from that being displaced. We've seen, you know, the AI pin. We've seen a bunch of stuff at CES and we have CES on the agenda. Like, I, I am not sold at this stage that, iPhone is, is, is going to go away. I think we're not there yet, but, and, and, and it's clear that there are going to be use cases for the Vision Pro and these type of devices that initially 
are going to be complementary to the iPhone, right? The iPhone, you don't really do work on the iPhone Vision Pro. So, so I feel like to me, the first generation of the Vision Pro is going to be more, it's a different type of Mac. Hmm. Yeah. It's a different type of workhorse and an entertainment machine. And then we're going to have to wait and see and see how those things melt together, right? The Mac, the Vision Pro, the iPhone, maybe, maybe there's going to be a one big new device, right? Or an extension. So I, I, I think it's a new category of devices. I don't think anyone knows if, if that is if that is a new Mac category, that is a new mobile category, that is a new Apple Watch category. And people like to look at the Apple Watch sometimes and say, oh, you know, it wasn't, it didn't become as big as people thought. It's the biggest watch in sales in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Apple literally built the best selling watch in terms of number of units sold around the world or one of the biggest, definitely a smartwatch is number Same one. Same thing with AirPods. I mean, AirPods, I think, is a Fortune 100 company by itself at this point, like just in terms of dollar, dollar revenue. And the Apple Watch may likely be one of the biggest Apple watch companies if it was a standalone business, right? Yeah. So, so we just have to give a lot of credit and patience to Apple. And so, again, I think I'm just keeping an eye on the UX. Mm-hmm. The units will follow if the user experience is amazing because the user experience is amazing. You're going to see an incredible, again, going back to Roblox, you're going to see an incredible tribe of developers who are going to want to build experiences for, for the Vision Pro. That's how it was with the iPhone. People didn't start building applications on the iPhone because like, oh my God, this is a trillion dollar app market. No, they, it was cool. It was a great device. They're like, oh my God, I can do X, Y, Z on the phone. If people feel like that about the Vision Pro, it's going to explode. I believe in the next three to five years. Except for Facebook. They didn't want to build an app at first, but that's a whole other thing. Anyways, Most likely you'll see Facebook applications of Vision Pro. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of an, it's, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, a less exciting and more somber topic. Uh, big topic last week was layoffs across the broader interactive media and technology industry. It's been a common thread for over a year now since Zuckerberg kind of coined the year of efficiency in 2023, but it is continuing in 2024. Um, layoffs suck, but you know we kind of have to talk about it because it is important. You know, in the world of interactive and metaverse-related technologies, I just took down a list of a few. Unity was a big one. They laid off 1,800 people or 25% of their workforce. Uh, notably, they are also the Iron Source founders, according to Israeli press, um, left the company, which is, a, I think, a big strategic move. Um, Twitch laid off 500 people or 35%. Instagram made some cuts. Google made some cuts. Audible, Discord laid off 17%, 170 people. Playtica laid off 300 people or 10% all outside of Israel, according to the press reports. There was even a few more over the weekend after I put this list together. You know, what do you make of the latest moves here um, as it relates to kind of the state of the economy and what it means for, you know, this concept that we keep talking about the metaverse and, and, and more broadly technology industry? I mean, man, I, I think that I separate between two things. So one, I think there has been an incredible momentum because of COVID of anything related to just consumption in general, especially digital consumption, both on the enterprise level and the consumer level, right? You see massive layoff that have been made in big tech. And I think what we're seeing over the last few months is the gaming industry picked up that. Now it, it came to the gaming industry. And, and I think people are spending less, consuming less, people are busier, people travel again. Roblox somehow maintain consistent growth of the platform, uh, even though they're not yet reaching the the KPIs that investors would want. But Roblox not only didn't lay off people, they actually hired a couple thousand new people. And so we'll see if they 
they, are going they, to let go. They're doing, they're doing de facto. They're, they're, they have their return to office policy, which goes into effect in April. And they said, if you don't go back to the office, you have to, you're out. So like, I think that's going to be de facto layoffs once, once the RTO comes into effect at Roblox, but yeah. It's a different type of layoff. It's more people kind of leaving or being redundant. But, but I think the bottom line is that, you know, ex excluding the conversation of Roblox, definitely I believe what we're seeing is just return to certain levels where companies and businesses realize that they have to stabilize their, uh, their balances. There's a lot of companies also, we're not talking about dozens of gaming companies that have been shut down because of lack of funding. And so I think there was an incredible boom in a world where everyone thought everyone is going to play video games all the time, all day long, and it's always going to continue. And I think the reality is different. Now, I separate that from the bigger trend that you and I are talking about with regards to the metaverse, which in my mind and our mind is the evolution of the internet into a real-time 3D-enabled internet. That is a longer-term, way more transformational evolution of the internet that goes way beyond gaming. Right. If gaming, I like to say, if gaming is this over time, will continue to grow. This is the 3D internet. It's kind of this massive wave above so many different things and not just gaming. Having said that, obviously gaming today is a key use case. And that's the one thing that resonates when people talk about virtual worlds. So I think it makes sense that people make that association. But I've never been more bullish or excited about the, the potential of the 3D internet. And I think the gaming industry is will continue in, in the near future to have you know, challenging times. And there will be more consolidations like the one we've seen with Microsoft and Blizzard and, and Activision Blizzard. And it's probably going to be good for the industry to, you know, reach a certain stabilization until the next wave of innovation comes in. Because what happened with COVID was not driven from innovation. There was some bets like Web3, blockchain, now AI. So, but we're not seeing how these yet translate to actual innovation that consumers pay for, that drives the next phase of gaming. So it's still to be seen how, what is the next wave of innovation for the gaming industry that would propel the next wave of the workforce expansion. Absolutely. And uh, I will just add for context, you know, to your point about, we had this huge hype cycle in 2021 and 22. I mean, heck, when we ended 2022, I said 2023 was going to be the trough of disillusionment when we kind of got there when we were recording around the end of the year that year. And sure enough, it happened. But a lot of these companies grew tremendously headcount during those years, including even in 2023. And these cuts that we're talking about don't take them anywhere close to where they were, you know, let's say pre-COVID, you know, for example, Discord, they noted that they grew headcount 5X from 2020 until now. So cutting 17% now, they're still 4X what they were in 2020. Unity uh, had around 4,000 people, excuse me, in 2020. Um, so cutting you know, 1800 people now to get them to like 7,000, they're still well above where they were. Some of that is buying iron source, right? But it is important to note that as well. And, and lastly, I'll just note, you know, at Super Social, you know, we do have some openings on our website. If, if you are affected and you're looking for opportunities, you know, feel free to reach out to me or Yom. We're happy to chat and see if there's a good fit for uh, potential opportunities at Super Social. And then lastly, back to a fun topic. Um, since you mentioned it, CES was last week in Las Vegas. It's always a fun time with cool technologies and things on show. Figured we could, you know, maybe talk about, um, you know, each pick our own kind of best of CES, whether it's a product or a specific category that you thought was interesting that was announced, uh, and maybe just why you, why you thought that. Well, obviously, the best product that never made it to CES is Vision Pro. Um, you know, Apple continues to play Apple. I. I like the product that I think uh, 
was called something like Next Playground, where it was really about kind of collaborative physical play, almost like the reinvention of the Nintendo, the, the Nintendo Wii, which I thought is interesting because I think a lot of people are obviously trying to play more things together, connecting physical environment with digital screens. And so I thought that's an interesting, new, fresh perspective on what was one of really the greatest products and innovations uh, that we've seen in gaming and interactive entertainment. So I, I thought that's a really interesting product that I, that I, I uh, you know, kind of gave special attention to. Yeah, the, the gaming world's really gotten away from like couch co-op and couch multiplayer games because it's all about live services and online and milking every extra dollar. So like I remember the the good old days of Wii Sports, you know, those were some of the best gaming days, right? But uh, for me, I mean, I'm going to go with AI PCs, you know, that's kind of the category product name. Effectively, what we're doing is we're taking, there's a whole new range of computers coming out, laptops, PCs, whatever, just have beefed up guts, right? You know, so there's a beefed up CPU has a, a, a very strong GPU. You know, a lot of PCs don't even have standalone GPUs. It's built into the CPU. Uh, and they also have their own MPUs as well. Uh, so basically, there's just more processing power on board to handle on-device AI workloads. We're not talking about running GPT-4 on, on your device, but running smaller language models, running Microsoft Copilot, for example, or whatever Apple decides to do. This is gonna, This is expected to be kind of the next wave of of growth for the PC industry, particularly on an ASP basis, because you're going to upsell the price for all these components. But, you know, I, I think there is a lot of demand for this right now with how fast AI is growing. You also have to remember that, you know, somewhere around 30% of large enterprises now are on what they call device as a service contracts, which is every three years, they just swap out computers and they have these in agreements. So, you know, enterprises, especially, I think are going to take to this between those agreements and just overall how excited they are about using AI internally to be efficient as an efficiency tool. And you know, again, we don't know the revenue contribution yet, but as a, as a cost-saving efficiency or do more with the same resources you have, um, I think there's going to be a lot of demand, particularly from the enterprise side for AI PCs in 2024. And uh, yeah, we're going to see if that really takes off. And this was kind of like the, the coming out party for AI PCs, at least in the Western world. Okay, well, this has been a great kickoff. First one, next week, Matthew is going to be with you guys because I'm going to be out of office for a little teeny tiny procedure uh, and I'm sure we'll bring many more fresh news. Until then, have a great time. Stay safe and stay dry and warm. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Into the Metaverse. We hope you learned a lot and explored new aspects of the metaverse. 